What makes you celebrate? What makes you really happy? Political victories? Sports victories? That's a little easier. How about birthdays? Well, but how many of us dread our birthdays and don't necessarily always tell the truth how many of them we have celebrated? What you celebrate says more about you than perhaps anything else. I mean that. What you enjoy, what makes you happy, describes you better than any merely outward act you can do. Jesus tells us exactly this in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you enjoy, what you treasure is what is truly important about you. What you value is what you will celebrate. And what you hate, you will denigrate or you'll simply ignore. My friends, one of the secrets of life is to cause your heart to rejoice in those things you should celebrate so that you will be able to value what is truly valuable and hate what is contemptible. My friends, tonight, encourage your heart in that which is good so that you will be more like Christ. Think I'm making this up? Paul says almost the exact same thing. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Value that which is truly valuable and you will have peace because you won't be chasing after all the things that are not valuable. Now, Matthew's original readers were Hebrews who knew their Bible much better than the average pew-sitter in the American Evangelical Church. And Matthew built his history of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the temple around a very well-known verse that everyone in his day knew and everyone in his day assumed rightly it turns out, was about the coming Messiah, was about the coming King. He built this passage around Zechariah 9.9 where the prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humbled and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. In this passage, Zechariah and then Matthew after him commands God's people everywhere, celebrate your coming 
King. Celebrate your coming King. Now, as I said, Matthew builds his story, his history of Jesus' triumphal entry around this verse. But if you notice, he omits one sentence from the Zechariah passage. He omits, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. And he did it intentionally to draw their, his reader's attention to what he left off. The average Jew who went to synagogue every Saturday would have known Zechariah 9.9 just like you and I know John 3.16. And we must read his narrative of the triumphal entry in order to see a distinction, a powerful distinction that we'll see straight through it between God's people rightly celebrating their coming King and the judgment that is foreshadowed on those who refuse to sing. Furthermore, there are these two big ideas. These two big ideas make train tracks as it were. The, the lines on either side of the train that holds that train on there. And if you miss these two tracks going straight through this passage, then you'll simply think that his narrative is out of historical interest. We want to hear the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And the whole thing about the fig tree will make utterly no sense whatsoever. But understanding this will help you understand what Matthew is teaching. What are those two tracks? Here it is. Jesus enjoys rightful authority over every aspect of every person's life, whether they submit to His authority or not. Jesus enjoys rightful authority. And the other track is that Jesus will execute judgment on those who refuse to bow the knee to His authority. Rightful authority, judgment coming for those who refuse to acknowledge that authority. Jesus' quiet, His unpretentious, His unassuming, His humble authority cannot be silenced. And this authority is accessed by faith. And judgment remains for those who refuse to sing. So my friends this morning, celebrate your, risen, your coming King. Celebrate your coming King. Let's look at our passage and see what it looks like to celebrate our coming King. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to Me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet in Zechariah 9.9. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, look, see, pay attention. Your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now this particular portion has authority written all over it. First of all, Jesus has the authority to tell his disciples, go and find a donkey. Jesus also has the authority that when he tells his disciples to go find a donkey, the guy who owns it 
gives it to him. But you know what's even more amazing than that? Jesus has the authority to claim Scripture for what he's telling them to do. And not just any scripture. I can't emphasize enough. Everybody in Jerusalem that went to synagogue every weekend would have known this verse and knew that it applied to the coming Messiah. Now I'm going to tell you a secret. You and I don't have that kind of authority. You know that? You and I don't have that kind of authority. But what we will find at the end of our passage tonight is that we can access this authority by faith, by trusting in Jesus and how He does things around us and so that we can live under His authority, rightly related to Him, and therefore His plans for the world. And by faith, going to Him, trusting His promises, trusting in His authority, we can then live lives of greater spiritual authority because we are rejoicing in the same thing that Jesus is rejoicing in. We're hating the same things that Jesus is hating. Jesus is quiet, unpretentious, unassuming, humble authority cannot be silenced. And it is accessed by His people by faith. On the other hand, judgment remains for those who refuse to sing. Therefore, you and I today must celebrate our coming King. So ask the question, are you happy that Jesus is coming back? Now before you answer that, let's think about it. Do you read this portion of Matthew and say with Jesus' best friend, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Or perhaps you have in the back of your mind this idea there's a few things in your life you need to prune out before you are happy about Jesus' return. Perhaps there's some fruit in your heart that you need to grow before you're really happy about Jesus' return. I've got good news. The good news is you don't have to worry about that. And the good news is that He will help you. And that help comes in right now, right where you are celebrating your coming King. Let's see how this continues to play out starting in verse 6 to 11. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought a donkey and the colt, and put on, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks out on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the ground. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's important to catch a very careful distinction that Jesus makes here, that Matthew makes here. There is a difference in this paragraph between the crowds and the city. And that is going to play a big difference between now and when Jesus is standing before Pilate. bringing you back to this, but for now I just want you to catch that. Because the crowds are those who come from Hickdom. 
They come from way out in the sticks and they're pretty happy about their boy Jesus who's making it big. And the city is filled with all the people who their main allegiance is going to be to the temple and to the temple officers. And they, those who are in the crowd in this case, are willing to sing Jesus' praise. Eh, it's fun. We're getting dirty, throwing our coats in the road, and we're dancing and happy. And eh, who doesn't like a good party, right? But you and I are not asked to throw our coats in the road and sing and dance unknowingly. We have seen the miracles of God throughout the Bible and of God the Spirit throughout the centuries. And already, right here in this paragraph where people are singing Hosanna to the Son of David, we see judgment foreshadowed. We see something that will become apparent throughout the rest of the book. Who is this? Those who refuse to acknowledge what their eyes have seen and their ears have heard will be judged. Oh my Lord, spare the United States. Those who refuse to acknowledge the glory and the beauty of Jesus coming to His own and His own singing to Him will each be judged for their own attitudes and actions. And Jesus is quiet, unpretentious, unassuming, and humble authority cannot be silenced by everybody who stands opposed to the children singing and dancing in the streets. And this Quiet authority is accessed by His people by faith, by trusting Him. And unfortunately, judgment remains for those who refuse to sing. So tonight, people of the Lord, celebrate your coming King. Do you celebrate the unassuming King? Do you celebrate when your children accomplish more at work than in their service of the Lord? Do you praise the size of your friend's house more than the size of their heart? Ooh. We can certainly fall into that, can't we? I can. These are not idle questions. We value what we praise and we praise what we value. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Our heart's greatness is determined by what it values. If you value TV, sex, and violence, then you will be a debauched soul with no beauty. If you value something a little bit better, only that which is of pragmatic worth, then your soul will be measurably better still, but it will be void of that which will make your soul great. If you value that which is beautiful in and of itself, your soul will be greater still. But it remains that only the soul that values God above all else will be eternally redeemed. And again, that soul is a gift. 
you have to understand something. What I'm talking about here is not merely some philosophy you learn at some seminary in La Mirada. This is brass tacks practical in Santa Maria, California and Nebraska. This is ultimately important. This is a soul that is only given by the giver of life. And He gives it to all who ask. So are you struggling? Ask Him. Lord, heal my soul so that I value You above all else. And this kind of soul is one that must be fought for. It is a gift and it must be fought for with every weapon available that is designed for that task. The very air you breathe is literally filled with all kinds of soul cancer aimed by our culture right into your heart. Seeking to fill your mind and your heart which, with that which will distract you from, that, from Him who is truly great. For example, the coming of your glorious King. So what weapons are available to you? Well, again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, service outreach, along with the various spiritual disciplines that have gone throughout the centuries through the church. But it really does come down to what will you celebrate? What is of ultimate worth to you? What will you consciously guide your heart to value? Will you celebrate the coming King more than 401Ks or more than fixing up your house to impress your neighbors? Will you celebrate your coming King? Then you will be blessed. If you choose to value lesser things, circumstances, and relationships, then you will have already had your reward when the judgment day comes. Scary words for those who refuse to sing. But the passage continues, 12 and 13. Matthew writes, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, those who were singing His praise as He was marching up into Jerusalem were expecting a political king. But what the, crowds, what the crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem witnessed was someone who was above all interested in God's name. And He had very little interest at all in the Roman overlords. I think that's why Rome didn't really care about Jesus. Otherwise, they would have hung him up on a cross a long time ago. Jesus' triumphal entry, his coming into Jerusalem and the temple, is all about spiritual authority. It's all about spiritual judgment. And the temple authorities knew it. They saw it, and they understood exactly what he was aiming at. Which is, again, why the Romans really could care less. Make no mistake, those, who, those profiteers who, did not, who were selling pigeons in the temple, they, they didn't care. They didn't sing or celebrate their coming king. 
And so their judgment began here. At least they had a foretaste of what that judgment would be. And what was God's response? What was God the Father's response to Jesus' actions? Verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple, and He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! They were indignant. And they said to Him, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to him, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm standing there and I'm mad at this backwater hick Jesus coming into town and he's standing there letting the children sing praises to Yahweh directed at him, I'm going to be upset. But as soon as I see the lame walking and the dumb talking and the blind seeing, I might want to change my attitude. Right? I, you guys follow me? This is, this is a big thing. Note, Matthew specifically says they saw the wonderful things that he did. And their celebration, not of the coming king, but their celebration of their power and their comfort that their position enabled them to have blinded them to genuine miracles of healing. God have mercy on the power and comfort we in the church and in this country enjoy because it blinds us to the working of God that is bringing millions to Christ around the world because they are not blinded by the comfort we are blinded by. God have mercy on our souls. Jesus didn't have to make a lot of noise. His miracles and His children all around Him were making enough noise. And according to Jesus, the praises of these children were enough. If these religious bigwigs didn't see fit to bow their knees, that was on them. But they would be judged by the very children that they despised. Your praises are enough. Do you know that you are considered children in this culture? Oh, you guys just aren't smart enough to know all those miracles didn't happen. But I tell you what, your praises matter to the king more than all the bigwigs in the political and religious echelons. Your praises are enough. So celebrate the risen king. Jesus' quiet, His unpretentious, unassuming, humble authority cannot be silenced by a bunch of religious bigwigs because the children are there. And you and I are there. And we access this by faith. Judgment instead remains for those who refuse to sing. So celebrate your coming King. God ordained praise from children because they have not yet learned the cynicism of their elders. Anybody in this room ever guilty of cynicism? 
God-ordained praise from those who are childlike, as we talked about in Matthew 18, 1-6. He ordained praise from those who were willing to put themselves at number two. When you are willing to drop your own defenses and when you're willing to celebrate your coming King, you will be able to praise Him and you will be able to really enjoy that which is truly magnificent. And far more enjoyment than all the toys that we can gather around us here. Still, the story is not finished. Verse 17, And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree on the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, I don't know, uh, hopefully you recognize that there is a different version of this story. And Matthew says this story just a little bit differently. He puts the timing of what happened overnight, whereas Matthew shortens the story and just tells it as if it was happening all at once. And many make much of this apparent quote-unquote contradiction. But the objection to the contradiction misses the point. If a tree will wither completely away overnight, talking from a horticulture point of view, that is immediate. And Matthew is trying to shorten this story because he wants to communicate this big idea. And that is Jesus had the authority to judge and that judgment was coming, was imminent, was right around the corner because of their lack of fruit. Now, the cleansing of the table, the temple, remember I told you, we got two tracks going on here. Jesus has rightful authority and judgment is coming for those who refuse to bend the knee to that authority. The cleansing of the temple and the withering of the fig tree are two aspects of this same authority and the resulting judgment that comes from misreading it. Jesus has the right to demand proper worship and He has the authority over all creation in order to gain the attention of those who are watching. The withering of the fig tree was there so that the People could get it. Oh my goodness. Judgment is here. We had better shape up. We had better turn to Jesus. Because human souls are worth more than any tree or any forests of trees. Boy, that will get me strung up around here. Judgment on those who will not bend the knee or their tongue will overtake every aspect of their lives, their worship, their business, and even the fruit trees by the road that give them joy. Jesus' quiet, unpretentious, unassuming, humble authority cannot be silenced, even by fig trees. And this authority, this grace is accessed by faith. And yet judgment remains on those who refuse to sing. 
So tonight, celebrate your coming King. Now, it's my experience, and I've heard others who have walked with the Lord longer than I have relate the same, is that when I get closer to Scripture, these problem passages, and this is frankly, one of those problem passages, get easier to accept. Now, when I say that, I don't want to communicate some anti-intellectualism. I don't want you to think that we just need to say, oh, well, it'll all work out. Instead, we need to hold in balance two complementary truths. And the one truth is that the Bible is not a textbook of answers to all our philosophical, scientific, and theological questions. It wasn't written for that purpose. The Bible is a love letter from a person to persons who are willing to be loved, to persons who are willing to sing rightly even if, like me, way off key. The Bible is not a textbook of answers. And the Bible does not ignore problems. Neither should you. Run towards the one who left these problem passages so that we could struggle with them and draw closer to the answer himself. This is much better celebration than burying your head in the Olympic sands of network television. How can you celebrate your king that is coming soon? Take his word seriously. You can celebrate by a willingness to fight for understanding as opposed to just skimming the hard parts and giving up as if it were impossible. You can celebrate your coming king by digging into his word even in the hard passages. And now Matthew wraps up this particular history of the coming king. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? Wrong question. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if I say to this mountain, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Talk about a problem passage. Faith. Trusting in the promises of God for you in Christ. Trusting in a person. Not answers to these or that questions. Trusting in a person, a specific person, Jesus, is all over this passage. It's demonstrated where the disciples obey their master about stealing a donkey and where the children sing Hosanna to the Son of David. Faith, this trusting in Jesus, is repudiated where the temple officials indignantly rebuff their Lord. And faith is demonstrated again in a much more important, but not in the way that we think of, way when Jesus demonstrated judgment through this little old fig tree that was sitting by the side of the road to Jerusalem. Never forget, Jesus never does parlor tricks. 
The Bible is not written to satisfy the curiosity you have for every single question. And Jesus never does a magician's act so that people around him will go, oh, look at what a great guy. No, instead, Jesus does miracles for the reason that John points out. They are signs. They are pointing at a greater, deeper, more important purpose of God that he wants to show in your life. In this particular case, it's not that he can just wither this fig tree like that. It's so that we can see that fig tree and say, Lord Almighty, let my heart be right with you because I don't want to go the way of that fig tree. It's a sign to God's people that we will humble ourselves before His authority that can still the waves, that can stop the water, and that can wither a fig tree. Jesus wants us to see these two parallel emphases. Jesus' authority and the judgment that comes for all who will not celebrate that authority. Because His quiet, unpretentious, unassuming, humble authority Ultimately, at the end of the day, though all the world is gathered around, cannot be silenced. And you can access that authority by faith. How do we do that? Exactly right here. Whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, this is all name it and claim it, right? All I got to do is pray in Jesus' name and I'll get whatever I want, right? That misses the whole passage altogether, doesn't it? Jesus has the authority. We do not. But He tells us to come to Him. So why, why is celebrating our coming King... Why is prayer a celebration of your coming king? Why should you celebrate your coming king with prayer? Well, there's several reasons. I'm just going to name a few. Number one, God commands us to pray. <laughs> well, if he tells us to do it, do it, right? Number two, God is sovereign. He is in control. And therefore, you can pray and expect that he will do something about it, that he can do something about it. Number three, God has given us these mind-blowingly great promises. For example, this one. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you will receive. And number four, I'm taking directly from this passage. Prayer focuses us on that which we should celebrate. Not my little toys, not my relationships or circumstances that I'm just dying to have. That's not the point of prayer. The point is to go to the one who has the authority to answer. You celebrate your coming king best when you pray, when you consciously, intentionally, deliberately pray disciplined prayers. And when you do this, you are celebrating that which is ultimately true and right and good. And you celebrate in the best possible way because you are honoring the one who is most worthy to do it. And he has commanded you to pray. So this week, celebrate your 
coming King. And Lord Almighty, we come to You because You have commanded us to come to You. Lord, this week, align our hearts with You and away from all the things that would distract us from hearing what You have for us and seeing Your beauty and Your glory. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to celebrate by rejoicing in that which is truly good and important. And glorify Your name by blessing us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen.